just, uh, I'm just going to let the Word start working on us, okay? You have your Bibles? Open your Bibles. This is a little bit of a uh, change. You know, Brother David talked about the GPS. Glory to God. What if that rich young ruler had had a heart change? He that had ears to hear, let him hear. Amen? What if that rich young ruler had had a heart change? Oh, glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, you need to write down at the top of your notes, if you're taking any today, Romans chapter 12, especially verse 3. I had planned to open to that opening, but, you know, Jesus spoke the word as they were able to hear it. And I pray today that the atmosphere will come up where you're able to hear some things he wants to say. I came to hear. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. There's much to be done. There's much to be done. I want to show you something here out of 1 Samuel. And, uh, and I was actually, that came up in my spirit. And so because it did, I'm going to follow that track for a minute. I think we'll get to the mountain of change, moving the mountain of change. Because change for most people is a mountain right in their way. And uh, I'm going to shift gears here and take a step up on the rung, and we'll see how high we climb the ladder today because he said, no, start over here on the road to change. Because yeah. yes, that's literally what Dr. Greathouse, under the anointing in his ministry gift, was talking about. If you get on the wrong bus to get where you're going, you're going to have to change buses. Yeah. Yeah, right. So evidently the Lord knows where we are and what we need to hear yeah. to get us to the place to hear what we really should have heard. Yes. Amen? Yes. So open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I want you to notice what it says here. It says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror. And I'm butchering these phonetic pronunciations, but that's okay. The son of another funny name, who was the son of another funny name, who was a Benjamite. What you need to know is a mighty man of power. <laughs> Glory be to God. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So he obviously... Uh, had quite a frame and a stature. So when you saw him, you saw that he was tall. He was probably handsome. He probably exhibited just in the graceful nature of the way he functioned some particular physical abilities you can notice, which really is why when they fought the Philistines later, they thought Saul should be the one fighting them. Okay. I'm going to keep dripping the water here so the cup will fill up a little bit. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So it goes on to say this. 
He goes on to say, and the asses or the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, and look what it says here, were lost. We're talking about the restoration of lost opportunities. Are you hearing me? Now, let's just hold your finger there and come over here, lest you think, well, you know, I know that's a good Old Testament story, but it was thousands of years ago. Well, the whole book. <laughs> I mean, so don't go there with me. Huh? <laughs> well, but it's Old Testament. All right, come over with me to the New Testament to Luke 15 quickly. Amen. Amen. I just want to make a point for you. Luke chapter 15, look what it says here. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. All the publicans and sinners. All the publicans and sinners. You know if God wills this for sinners, he wills it for the church. Fill me up a little bit more, Brother Terry, something. I think we're going to have to fill up this empty space. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Then drew near to him all those sinners. Now look at verse 2. Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, eats with them. And let's read on. And when he had found, it says, excuse me, in verse 3, So he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, did not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost till he find it? And when he found it, say, when he found it, say, when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, you need to get some clues about how important it is that regardless of how you feel, to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the master key to restoration. Glory to God. Amen. And so when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. And notice what it says here. And when he cometh home, that means he brought it home. Hallelujah. Say, some stuff's coming back to me. This stuff coming home. Yeah, now, now we're cooking. The anointing's beginning to manifest. Now we're cooking. And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. So what do you think I'm saying to you today? Now, why would he want them to rejoice with him? Because we're going to find out that restoration didn't just work for him. Huh? He is really indicating that there's somebody that's attached to him in deep enough relationship that it actually matters to them whether or not he gets his stuff. If they don't, if they don't have any relationship with him, they're not going to care what happens to him. 
These are partners. Amen. Glory be to God. Let me just, I see where the Holy Ghost is going, so I'm going to follow him. He's the only one that can really help us. All right, we're going we're gonna to look at another opening here. I don't think we can preach them all out, so we'll go as far as we can in each one. We may go back to 1 Samuel. We may wind up back in Luke 15. But for now, let's go to the book of Job. Amen. Say glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Make a statement. That just make it by faith when I say it, and then I'll give you the scriptures to back it up. Say, this is my finding time. Woo, glory to God. Things that belong to me are going to find their way to me. They're going to find their way back home. Glory to God. I'm going to find where I belong, and I'm going to really find out who I actually am in full. Glory to God. What a year. What a significant year. The book of Job now, let's look at the end of it. And I want to read specifically Job chapter 42. And I want you to notice what he said. Verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Are you listening to me? He darkens counsel without knowledge. When you're ignorant, you'll say things that block that you think God is doing that God doesn't have anything to do with. And so this one statement at the end of the book of Job tells us you cannot take the whole book of Job and everything that's said and make doctrine out of it. Because Job is going to repent over saying a bunch of stuff that's not right about God. So just get real clear that the whole book of Job isn't for New Testament doctrine for the church. And God doesn't have a plan to take everybody through a Job experience. Thank God. I said, thank God. God was the one to put the hedge around him. Amen. And while we're not going to go back and talk about all that, the bottom line was he responded to fear. And here is the real issue. This was the bigger issue than fear is how fear had corresponding action. In Job's life, how did it have corresponding action? In religious activity. He wasn't like running from a freight train or scared of a rattlesnake. He never could conquer the fear that something was going, bad was going to happen to his kids. And so he got up every day and gave offerings and prayed and wailed and made offerings because it may be that one of my kids has sinned and something terrible is going to happen to him. And, and his fear came on him. It broke the hedge. You need to understand, it's not just the things you do in the world it's almost as if God can fix that mess you did when you were worldly a lot better than he can that religious judgment you make in the church. Because one's a fleshly sin and one's a spiritual sin. And a spiritual sin comes from an opinion and your heart. 
which is why many times sinners get restored and saints spend 20 years trying to get past their unworthiness. All right, I'm helping you whether or not you know it. Because if we were to go back to Luke 15, we see very clearly that the elder brother had issues that kept him from fully coming into the party. And the brother, they, they thought sinned it all, sinned all, got all his restored. And it was the judgment of the servants. Especially the elder brother. I'm glad he didn't meet him at the edge of the woods. You know daddy don't want you back. Huh? That wasn't the heart of the father. So much of the church is not revealing to the world the heart of the father. God's got a robe that was still there for him. A ring that was there for him. Shoes that were there for him. And a party. Oh, come on. I said a party. Imagine the older brother that hears them music and dancing in a party. And he's on the outside, and he says, and most of you know the story, and he's on the outside, and he says, well, what's all this music and dancing? Oh, your brother, he was lost and is found. He's found. Found his way home. I've been on the porch looking for him all day, every day, and he found his way home. Faith work. <laughs> and the older brother, you know, it's crazy about him because he said, uh, you mean he went and did all that and he's having this great miraculous breakthrough of provision? I just don't understand. He said, that's exactly right. You said it exactly right. You do not understand. You've been in my house the whole time and you don't know my heart. This is why Jesus had to look at his disciples at one point and had to say to them, have I been with you this long and you don't know me yet? The biggest tragedy in people that sit under the word for years is they come to be able to quote a little bit of the Bible, but they never get to know God. And, and, and faith works mainly by trust and confidence. When you get persuaded that God loves you and will back his word, you can believe his word in spite of contradictory evidence because you know his nature. It'll fuel your faith. There are people that say things to me, and I have no faith in what they say. Not because what they're saying is, but because... They don't do what they say. Right? There are other people that I can say something to them, uh, you know, and they'll say something to me, and I'll say, and I'll go tell somebody, hey, so-and-so said this. Why? Because my relation with them has been long enough that I've watched them every time they said something. It didn't even matter if it got delayed a little bit or circumstance, mitigating circumstance. They would at least call and say, hey, it's going to be another week or so or it's going to be or whatever. It's going to be. Or at least they'll say, you know, I'm believing God for this and I don't have it in my hands right now. Learn how to talk the truth yes. instead of all kind of presumption. And I don't have it in my hands right now, but this is what the Spirit of God has told me. And, and you know, he ministered seed to the store. I'm believing it in. Yes. 
right? If you'll talk the truth and then follow through with what you say and do it over a long period of time, people will start believing what you say. And that's the one thing I see the body of Christ needs more than anything else is to keep their word. Because if they don't, it's hard to believe God will keep his. Because the DNA is in there, huh, that, that you're not consistent keeping your word. Anyway, the point is, he said, do you not understand, son? You were with me the whole time. This is Luke 15, like 31 and 32 you were with me the whole time. And all that I have is yours. You know, the problem is, is he had been with him for years, still acting like a servant instead of a son. He never took ownership. Because when that boy left, he came, Dad, I don't want to work the farm. Hmm? Given to me my inheritance. And read it. It says he gave to them. He didn't just take the inheritance and give it to him because he asked. When he asked, he didn't leave that other brother out. It says he gave them both their inheritance at the same time. So the older brother had his whole, all along. He wasn't waiting on anything except in himself. Look, you see it right there? Read it. Somebody say, oh, I don't know it said that. That's because you need to read it. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, and he divided unto. So by verse 31 and 32, let's go down to verse, I think it's 31, and we'll just kind of read into it. And he said to the son, son, you're ever with me. In other words, he got upset because this this, this other brother went through some stuff and, and wasted, you know, what he thought wasted the inheritance and came back. Well, the point is, he got offended for daddy because that wasn't the other brother's money anyway. Oh, come on now. Come on now. That was his inheritance. Instead of judging him for what he did with it, the father wanted to restore the inheritance. Oh, come on now. And in order to restore the inheritance, in order for that to happen, the person had to get restored. It wasn't pouring money down a hole. He wasn't busting him while he was eating with pigs and financing. But when he came home, all that was washed away like it never happened, and there was no distinction. Amen. Yes. Amen? Amen? This is huge because this parable isn't about what either of the boys did. This isn't even designed to be preached about what the boys did. This is all designed to show people who don't know the Father what the heart of the Father really is. This is not really about the prodigal son. This is about the heart. Huh? of a loving father as a picture of our father where all of his children are concerned. The ones that stay with him and do it right, he wants them to change their mind that he doesn't just need them around for what they can do on the farm. But he wants them to take ownership 
of their identity in the midst of a world of servants, he wants them to represent his heart with their inheritance. You see that? And this son, never, he never matured. He was in the house the whole time, coming and going from church the whole time, and never matured to understand he already had it. He wasn't waiting on it. He could have killed a fatted calf every day. He could have rejoiced every day. He could have had a party every day. But instead, he sat back over here waiting on his father to, do, to invite him. Let me tell you when, you, when he gave you the inheritance, what more can he give? What more invitation do you need? But it never clicked in him. So when the younger one got restored, he just said, Whoa! Man, I should have been taking advantage of this all along. But instead, he got offended. Well, you never threw a party for me. Just that statement tells me he never asked. Why didn't he ask? Because he didn't know the nature of the father. He didn't know that the father was happier when they were rejoicing and partying. Huh? And when a younger brother found out dad wasn't mad and came home. There's a lot of reasons we don't have a lot of revival. And a lot of it is because the church is so stinking sad. If I want to be depressed, I can go to the world. They don't know how to get out of it. Of all people, glad as those people, happiest of people whose God is the Lord. The distinguishing mark of us ought to be consistent, absolute laughter, even in the face of death, defeat, and destruction. And they say, what is wrong with you? You've lost your mind. And you say, no, I hadn't lost my mind. I changed my mind. I... Amen? Yeah, out of your mind, thank God. Yeah, you're right. I'm out of my mind, and I got a hold of his mind. Thanks be to God, I got the mind of Christ. I'm finally sane. I'm finally sound. I finally have power and no fear. And no, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Well, it sure looks like it's prospering. That's why I want my faith and not my sight. Now, I know you're carnal and don't understand what I'm saying, but I have one that does. It's my father who's for me and ever with me and will never leave me and is already working in my behalf and everything he promised me is finding its way into my hands. Somebody give the Lord a shout. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Woo! Glory be to God. Let me talk about Job and we'll work our way back through. How about that? Notice what it says here. This is really important. It says that Job darkened God's counsel by things he uttered that he didn't know, that he didn't understand. And so, notice what it says. Here I beseech you and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Now verse 5, Job 42, 5. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. See, there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people, well, they've heard about God and they've heard that he does that and they've heard that scripture or whatever. But there's something about revelation, about seeing it for yourself, about it dawning on your heart. He said, now I understand. Amen? He says, therefore, I despise my attitude before. 
I don't like how I used to think about God. And I don't like how I used to act in church toward others. I don't like the fact that I spent some of my life showing a world what they think God is like because he's supposed to look like Christians. Are you hearing me? Sure. So he goes on to say this. He says, and I repent. Glory be to God. And I repent. Thank God Job repented. Now look what's on the other side of repentance here. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, and the Lord said to, obviously, these three uh, friends of his that you've heard about a lot, <clears throat> Eliphaz the Temanite, and my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Look, God said, hey, it wasn't just you that spoke against me. Your partners did too. Are you listening to me? This is huge. Y'all were saying the wrong things about me. I said, y'all were saying the wrong things about me. Glory be to God. And so he said, for you've not spoken to me the thing that is right. So he actually spoke to those three friends and said, you hadn't spoken to me the thing that's right like my servant Job. Now, that could confuse you. Well, that sounds like then Job was talking right all along. No. Job had just repented. He said those first three verses are the first right thing he said in a bunch of chapters. But now he said what's right. You didn't know. You were dumb. You didn't understand. And you tried to figure it out. And he said a bunch of junk that isn't true about me. But now if you'll repent and humble yourself, and find out what I'm really like, I'll show you what I'm like. Amen? Just like that elder brother. Problem is, he didn't repent. He didn't come into the party at all. Are you hearing me? He didn't come on into the party. God doesn't have a, a problem with you processing your convictions that you have wrongly set. He has a problem with you being so stuck like concrete, you won't ever come into the party and make a change. He's not so much caught up in the time of it because he judges the heart. And he can see if the needle's moving in your heart. But here's the deal. If the needle starts moving in your heart, the rest of the church is going to see it too. Because you're going to start acting differently. How do I know you're going to start acting? You're going to start having some different opinions, attitudes, and judgments in the way you talk. That's the bottom line right there. I'm about to prove to you from the scripture, I'll know when you change your mind when I hear you change your words. I'm about to prove it to you from the word of God. I'll know when change is happening in you when I hear you start talking different. Glory be to God. But as long as you're still saying the same thing, you had not changed. Glory be to God. Amen. And we'll talk about that here in a minute, but let's continue to read this. He said, For you have not spoken to me the thing that's right as my servant Job has. Eight, therefore take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, offer a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. Isn't that interesting? Job got an anointing on him to lead everyone else back into restoration. Notice. They were his friends, which means they were his partners. And in order 
to get the anointing of restoration that was on Job on their lives. Because the condition of their heart wasn't right yet. Those three boys hadn't changed their heart like Job had. So they had to tap into a grace by partnership so that the anointing that came on Job would now start happening in their lives. Notice what it says here. This is huge. It says, now, you three boys, here is the fix for your restoration. Take unto you seven bullets, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering. He will pray for you, and I will accept, lest I deal with you after your own folly. In that which you have spoken, have not spoken of me, the thing which is right like my servant Job. So they did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And he prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Do you see that? And it goes on, Then came there unto him all his brethren, and all his sisters, and all that had been of his acquaintance before. And they did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over, the, over all that had been brought upon him. And every man, look, every man gave him what? They saw what happened to Job. They saw when he laid hands upon his partners what started happening to his partners. They said, by God, take some of my money too. Get your hands on me. I'm totally convinced that partnership has so much depth and, and covenant access to fullness that the lack of revelation of it and treating it without the honor and faith in what it deserves, activating it on purpose, we're doing without so much because it connects the resources of heaven to flow. And it flows through the whole body. It's like your whole body, the foot's not the hand, the hand's not the eye. But all of those members are supplied by the same blood. Are you listening to me? And so it's very important to understand the way that God framed this. And I'm so convinced of this, but the flip side is people... Too often, too often, they don't recognize that one of the major reasons he wants people to partner with an anointing they see on another human is because it demands humility. I'll say that again in a minute. Faith doesn't work in pride. And when you think you're all that all by yourself and you don't need it, partnership is a demand on your spirit to situate yourself purposefully that I don't have everything I need, that you have something I need, that together we'll be full. And I can't do this without you. And secondly, it is a recognition of what God has anointed and yielding to that. Because the anointing, in many ways, is a manifestation of God's choice. I'll try it again. The anointing, in so many ways, is not about, you understand, it's not about eloquence or education. or It's about the heart. God did not choose David's brothers. There was a few of them that looked a lot better as a choice, as a leader, the way they would be charismatically presented to the people. They were white-toothed and young with gelled hair, and they could do the media. But their heart wasn't right. They were worldly as all get out. Come on now. 
God didn't choose them based on that. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. God chose David because he said, I don't look as man looks. I don't look on the outward appearance. I look after the heart. Glory be to God. So the anointing very often is a choice that's evidenced by God. When I recognize the anointing, I back off on any opinion of personality. Okay. I I'm hoping you can hear me. Body of Christ has missed it more on this one trespass than anything else. I know something shifted in the heart of somebody close to me when I watch them in a moment and they're used by God and suddenly there's an unusual anointing that drops on them <laughs> because God doesn't anoint the unholy. And I can often know when somebody's fully restored, their anointing comes back. So I would suggest you follow the anointing instead of your opinion. All right, I'm working on something. Restoration of lost opportunities. If you don't believe that somebody that's lost something can get theirs back, you're going to have a hard time believing you can get yours back. And he has no respect to a person. He loves you. I said he loves you. Glory be to God. How he loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves us. Glory be to God. And notice what happened here. When they saw the restoration in such manifestation, people started flocking to connect in partnership because they wanted that anointing on them. That's what happened to Job. And the latter days of Job were greater than his former. I'm telling you, he's brought you out to bring you in. And I don't care what you've been through, he's going to do you good in the latter days. Though your beginning was small, your latter days shall greatly increase. If you stay the course and you obey God and you're willing to do what he says do and go where he says go, glory be to God, there are some things that await you that are beyond your wildest dreams. Hallelujah. So I would encourage you to back off from familiarity. Back off from lack of honor and lack of esteem and just coming and going through the motions and connect to the anointing. Because the anointing is what's going to break it. I said the anointing is what is going to break it. And I'm going to tell you, in 1990, uh, excuse me, in 1992, the Lord said to me, coming into the year, fresh anointing on you in 1992. Psalm 92, 10 says, anoint my horn with fresh oil. I believe it's verse 10. You can look that up. I believe it's correct. Anoint my horn with fresh oil. That means the anointing comes and it produces a, 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 an authority. The horn is symbolic of authority, kingdom authority. So God wants to restore our dominion. He wants to restore things. He wants to stop them from subduing us and us start subduing them. He, he wants us to start making our mark on the world more than the world's making his mark on us. We, glory be to God. There's a change coming. Somebody say change. change. Say change. change. Say big changes. big changes. And say they start inside of me. That is so huge. Glory to God. All right, let's kind of race back through this and get where we need to go. Go back with me to Luke 15 and... Uh, and you'll see it. I just want to point out something to you. Glory be to God that this, this whole chapter is not just about one parable. You know, we skipped to the parable concerning the lost son. But notice what it says above that. And we saw it. The lost sheep. And he says he'll leave the 99. He'll go get the one. 
That means 99% restoration is not enough with God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Are you listening to me? Somebody say 99% restoration isn't enough with God. It's going to be like it never happened. He's going to restore original intent. Glory be to God. Are you hearing me? Glory be to God. So he says this. He says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. That which I lost, I got it back in my house. It has been restored in full. Woo! Glory be to God. Amen. Then he goes on to say, and I say unto you, uh, verse 7, Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. So heaven's rejoicing. Why are we pointing fingers and, and griping? Because we're not thinking like heaven. That's why. Amen? <laughs> so he says, either, he said, either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, verse 8, if she lose one piece, one piece, one piece, one piece. Jesus has an anointing that even in the midst of great multiplication, he doesn't want any part of it lost. We're so affluent, we just treat things, but... He sees everything. He said on that hillside with all those thousands of people, gather up the fragments. What was the purpose? I used to, you know, I know there's a lot of purposes. I know our increases in the fragments and all of that. We can think stewardship. We got, I found out about him. The prodigal son proves that if you got to pay for something twice, it doesn't bother him. If you did something wrong, he'll give you the money to pay for it again as long as you repent. It's not the money with him. It's the not losing what he gives. He just doesn't want any part of it lost. So the project, the greater value, is not that I had to pay for it three times. I lost all that money. I know the Lord's upset with me. No, he's upset with you because you quit. He's upset with you because your attitude, you let it get in your heart. He's not upset because you didn't save a penny. He's not broke or nervous. He's not having us gather the fragments because he can't multiply more fish. Boy, you better subside on this. I mean, you know, we got a breakthrough miracle here, and you better now, now you better go to the committee and make sure how to spend this because this is all you're going to get for a while until maybe, maybe, maybe one day you might get another breakthrough, but everybody knows that there's not consistent, explosive breakthrough financial miracles in ministries all the time. I mean, most ministries never see one of these, so, I mean, we better do it right. You know what you just did? You trusted the money, sucked back into it being the source. You won't have another breakthrough. You're right. Because you're saving for a rainy day, you're going to have a rainy day. Hello? I'm talking about change. I'm talking about change. Gathering up the fragments isn't just about, I've got to 
you know, make sure that all my paperwork matches the evangelical Christian uh, financial accountability council and all of that. And I'm worried about getting on 2020 and exposed. It's all about gathering up the fragments that are lost. Yeah. I said lost. His heart is for the lost. He doesn't want anything lost. Get it clear. And what's lost is coming back to the church. Woo, glory be to God. It's finding its way back. It's finding its way back to my house. It's finding its way back to my life. It's finding its way back to my body. Well, I just don't know what happened. I mean, something happened. I got some nerve damage and I lost feeling in my foot. Well, it's coming back. What's lost is coming back. I said, what's lost is coming back. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Restoration is in the house. There's miracles from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Give the Lord a shout in the house. Hallelujah. And be seated. It said she had 10 pieces of silver. She lost one. Notice the first thing she did. Lit a candle. The first step to finding what you lost is revelation. God's got to show you why you lost it. He can show you where it is, but that's not the point. It's not about you going to get it. I think about the prophet. When they came and said, you know, the school of prophets has grown, and we just don't have enough room. we got to build a bigger school. So they borrow, and they start dropping trees and adding on to the Bible school. They're out by the river. He's hacking a tree, and the axe head flies off of the axe handle into the river. Anybody read this story? He ran to the prophet and said, Alas, master, the axe head has flown off. It's in the river, and I've lost it, and it was borrowed. This is what you need to understand. You can't recover anything, supernaturally recover anything with a borrowed revelation. You just can't do it. Because it works for somebody else, that means it's going to work for you. Enlargement in your life, you've got to get a firsthand revelation. If you've lost something in your life, first thing you need to do is light a candle. You go to God and you say, God, I would have never lost this had it all been in order. Right? Isn't that right? Yeah. And so you go to him and say, but I know you're a restorer. Say, I mean, just love on him and say, I know I know no matter how bad I messed up, it doesn't change anything about you. I can't break it bad enough, you can't fix it. And you are indeed a restorer, as if a recreator, as if it never happened. Yes. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory, glory, glory. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I'm stirred up on the inside. Yes. Say, I'm on the road, on the road. To, restoration. to restoration. I'm on the road to change. Everything in my life is going to change in a very wonderful way. Sudden changes are coming. Miracles of change are coming. Significant changes this year. Things I've been waiting for a long time are coming into my hands. Things I have lost are coming back to me. God's word shall be fulfilled. He cannot lie. And God is for me. So who can be against me? This is my year. Woo! Glory to God. I live under an open heaven. This is my year. He says, the last master, it was borrowed. They're doing a great job following me. Hallelujah. Look what it says here. A last master is borrowed. Man of God said, where did it fall? He showed him the place. He lit a candle. See that? 
revelation about how to get it back. He didn't put on a scuba tank. He didn't get certified. He didn't get hip waders. He didn't get a metal detector. He didn't get one toe wet going to get that ax head. It came back to him. I call it the law of redemptive return. Everything that's redeemed has to return. It's a spiritual law. That's why Jesus is going to come back. To gather home everything he's redeemed. Woo, if it's been redeemed, it ought to come to my house. It's been bought out of the pawn shop. It belongs in my bedroom. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Are you getting anything in this room today? Hallelujah. So he showed him the place and he cut down the stick. You know what the stick is a type of? The cross. He cast it in where? The river. So put the cross in, you see, the river of humanity. When the cross gets in the river of humanity, the redemptive power of that cross will cause what you lost to come back. Glory be to Do you see that? And it says he cast it in there where the prophet showed him. And the iron did swim. Don't you know it was someday when that iron came up to the surface of the water and it looked like it just started going. Came up to the shore. He just reached down and picked her up. He didn't go swimming. He didn't go looking. He didn't. It found him. It came back to him. And it is time for you to get on this side of the supernatural understanding of what God wants to do in your life right now. Restoration of lost opportunities. Restoration of lost dreams and hopes. It's coming back to you. Say, it's coming back to me now. I have it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, glory to God. Hey, glory to God. Hey, glory to God. Woo! Glory to God. Hey, the angels are in the room going to get our stuff. Come on up here, worship team. Everybody stand up right now. Glory to God. Glory. So it's about time you start inviting some lost folk to church. Because they're the ones, just like you, needed to hear what was said today. Amen? Glory be to God. All right. I think the worst team's coming. Did they hear me? All right. The iron swims fast. So does the worship team. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe God's going to give us, you know, whether it's today or not, is not the point. It will happen soon. And throughout the year, he's going to give us the songs of heaven. We're going to have psalms and hymns that come out of the ministry of the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you, he inhabits the praises of his people. We're going to rejoice and receive. Amen. You know, I really, I really did. Well, I was headed somewhere, and we'll just stay headed, okay? I don't mean today. I mean as a body. Yes. We're on the road. Yes. We're on the road. Yes. Amen? Yes. Now, listen to what it says. I'm going to make two statements, and then I'm going to read about Saul. They're here. Y'all get ready. Decide in your heart now. Understand where we're headed. 
But it says that Jesus went up on a mountain. The mountain of change. Glory be to God. And he took three of his disciples with him. Glory to God. I, I've asked the Lord about this over the years, and sometimes he'll answer you when you're not even asking him. There are things that come in my heart, and I just carry it a long time. And I know that he's no respecter of persons. And I know he doesn't pick and choose. But yet, he does decide and appoint, and appoint based upon things he sees that we can't see, like the heart of David. Amen? He looks. He said, I have found me a man. And he's looking for that. So I'm convinced of this. If Jesus had to pray all night and get all 12 of them, he knew who to pick. Then when he went up on that mountain, he didn't just pick those three boys by accident. It wasn't like, okay, now this is the inner circle. Now I'm going to show you some things that, 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 that they can't know. No, they weren't able. He spoke the word as they were able to hear it. He had walked with them long enough. And those three had gotten to the place. So it, we know that Peter underwent a major change because when he asked him, who do men say that I am, they all had an answer. We said, who do you say that I am? You see, Peter spiritually is impetuous, makes mistakes. They talk about him. They probably joked in the locker room and all that kind of stuff that seemed carnal. But when the time came on the sea, he's the one got out of the moat. When the, yes. He's the one jumped out of it. And I mean, he went a fishing. He's backslidden. I'm going back. Dear God, I've denied the Lord three times. There's no hope for my ministry. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm going back to the familiar. He went back fishing. And Jesus said, Cast your net on the right hand and you'll find. And he, they couldn't pull the fish in. Ah! He recognized it. It's the Lord. He threw his fishing on him, jumped in the water. I mean, wait, they didn't wait for the boat to get there. Jumped in the water and waited up there, and it said they couldn't haul the net into the boat because of the multitude of great fish. And I have found in the Spirit you can catch the things so big that you don't yet have the infrastructure to haul them in. And, but Peter shows how we're supposed to be. He grabbed that net. Don't you know he was wiry? Don't you know he was leathery? Don't you know he was gritty? Don't you know he gritted his teeth and was determined? No wonder they couldn't kill him in that dungeon. No wonder they crucified him upside down, couldn't kill him until he gave himself because he just had that kind of tenacity. He was like Elisha who, when he was found, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. What ground is so hard, you got to have 24 ox to break it. And when God saw him plowing that kind of ground with 24 oxen and would not let go of the plow, he said, that's the guy I'm going to put the anointing on. Are you hearing me? He got his teeth in that thing and wouldn't let go. And he grabbed that net and drugged those fish. Couldn't get them in the boat. With help, couldn't get it out of the water. And so he just grabbed that net and just, Jesus is on the shore and I'm going by God. And he drug it through the water. And when it got shallow, it got heavier and heavier. Now he's dragging it in a wet sand. But by the time he spilled all those flopping fish out on the ground where the resurrected Lord was baking coals, fish on coals, 
He said, Simon, do you love me? You know I love you. He said, do you love me more than these? He wasn't talking about the disciples. How's Peter supposed to know if he loves the Lord more than those other people? He just went back fishing. These isn't the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? That's the fish flopping around. Do you love me more to do what I have anointed and appointed you to do? You're built for this, Peter. You're wrong. Do you love me more to do this? Then take care of your own way, have your fishing company, go home to mama and have a good life. How much do you love me, Peter? More than these fish? More than figuring out how to make your own salary? Are you listening to me? And when he passed that test, oh, it grieved him because he had to have a heart change because Jesus is using one word, agape, and he's answering him with another word. Well, you know I'm your friend, Lord. You know, I've already proven, I'm not sure I'll go with you all the way. This, I mean, he's, he's hedging his bet. And Jesus had to stay at his heart to chisel it away until he finally, okay, he said, what's going to happen to John? He said, forget about John. It has nothing to do with John. You do what I called you to do. Well, what, why was he so rough with him? Because had he not broken through that veneer to cause Peter to see that no matter what he did in his past, his call, his apostleship, his heart, his character, his anointing was still intact. And when he said, you do what I told you to do, that was Jesus saying to him, I never had a second thought about what I told you to do, and that call is still intact, that anointing is still intact. Now get off your rear and start doing it. And quit worrying about what everybody else thinks about it. And quit worrying about what so-and-so is going to do. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Yes, sir, I'll do that. I'll pick it back up. But here's the thing. Glory be to God. Oh, there's a lot to say about that, but you need to understand the first key more than anything else of a miracle of sudden change is the water into wine. What do we do? His mama said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Light a candle. And if he says something to you, you do it. You, you'll be amazed at the miracle of sudden change that comes in your life. Glory be to God. Do you understand? Glory be to God. Get out of your own way. Hallelujah. Here's what I'll say about 1 Samuel, because I don't know. I know today I'm not supposed to go back. I don't know if I'll open it up and go teach it anymore next week or the next. What I do know is Samuel's father sent him out to look for lost donkeys. He couldn't find them after three days. And he said, we got to go to the man of God and get some revelation." And the guy that was with him said, how are we going to go to the man of God? We don't have anything to give him. You don't ever go into the presence of God empty-handed. You've got to light that candle. And there's a reason why that it works like that. Not so the man of God can consume it on his own lust, but it activates something in the spirit. Huh? And when they got to the man of God, when they got to the man of God, 
He saw them coming like the father saw the prodigal son coming home and yelled at a distance, Hail, captain of the Lord's inheritance. And Saul nearly collapsed because that statement, the prophet just called him the king. Are you hearing me? He went looking for donkeys and found his destiny. Problem is, y'all are looking for something way too small than what God has for you. You're just trying to get back where you were. Don't confuse restoration with comfort. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with you having authority to subdue what has tried to keep you out and has stolen from you, and therefore that authority will go get it and bring it back home. So you may think you're in here looking for donkeys, but the glory of God is about to hit this place like a bomb, and you're going to find something else. You're going to find the heavenly exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. He's going to change you physically. He's going to change you emotionally and mentally. He's going to change you spiritually. He's going to change everything about you, especially the way you think about him, the way you approach God, and the way you approach the assembly. There's a turn coming in the American church this year. It's your day. I said, it's your day. I said, it's your day. Say, it's my time. What do y'all have? Let's worship the Lord. What happened when he found that? What happened when he found that donkey? What happened when he found, right, that sheep? He rejoiced. He possessed it. What do you mean by that? You see it? He had these two legs in this hand. He had the rear legs in this hand, the front legs in this hand, the belly on his neck. He said, Whoa, I found my sheep. Wrap yourself in your mantle again. Put it back on. What, the robe of righteousness? The way you think about it, if you've done everything right, what you can do if God was pleased with you because he is? What you could do if the bank account was full because it is? What plans you would make? Start dreaming. Now decide this, and I'm going to just let them worship our way out of here. Say, today, I'm taking a faith step on my road to restoration. Now say one more statement as we worship him. And I want you to, as we worship him, then settle it with God. I want you to draw a line today. Anybody watching, everybody watching, settle it with God. And decide right now, today, I take the first step. Engaging my faith for grace to change. Supernatural help to change from where I am into the absolute full will of God. My road to change. 
My road to change. This is my road to change. By the time he does so much for you down a little bit of this road, you'll be ready to tackle that mountain. You'll be ready to climb that mountain like Peter, James, and John because he underwent a change in their very eyes. I'm telling you, we're headed toward a place mm, of sudden change. I prayed several hours about this service, and that's the phrase, that's what he said. Now, this is where it starts right here. He said, if an open heaven starts, you're going to have to make some changes. Amen. And I'm a first responder. Let me just do this for anybody that might be watching and for you right now because we're going to worship our way out. I'm done today. And I told you there's going to come a new format. This is powerful. Right now, it's time for L. I'm not saying we're going to do it today, but very, very soon, our leadership's going to be on front. Everybody can get prayed for that needs prayer. We're going to have them. It doesn't mean I'll quit ministering, but it's time for you to get those people that need a desperate move of God into this room so they can hear a message like this. I know we can teach forever, but today there's a different anointing on this message. If it stirred you up, don't you know it'd stir up somebody with no hope? And they would come to Jesus. We're on the cusp of revival like we've never seen. The fields are white. It's your responsibility to get them in the room. Glory to God. Glory to God. Uh, Brother David, remind me to say something to you after the service that I saw where you were teaching today because I'm going to want you to engage your faith with me and then at some point it will be the proper time for it to be said. Today, it would elongate the service and take us away from this moment, so I'll talk to you about it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. It's your day of change. Say, Lord, here I am. I determine I'm going to light a candle. I open my heart to the light to find everything in my life that has been lost. It's coming home. <laughs> Woo. Say, Lord, I will no longer say I'm stubborn. I know for many, many people, that was a faith statement. When I was younger, they told me I would argue with a signpost in the middle of a railroad track with a train coming. Some of y'all are exactly like that. That's got to change. I said, that's got to change. I want the fullness. And I know you can't do it in your own strength, or you'd have done it. Or at least you had tried. You would have tried. Some folks think they're okay. So that's the first step. The light comes on. Oh, that's not okay. Okay, Lord, I repent. That's what's happening today. The steps on the road to restoration and change. So, Lord, say it now, Lord, 
I yield to you. You died for me. You rose from the dead. You have all authority to forgive my sin. I confess you as the Lord of my life. And if you have power to forgive my sin and to make me a new creature, that's a great miracle of change. So therefore, your power and your grace can change and will change everything in my life. Anoint me to gather the fragments that nothing be lost of what you put me on earth to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Here's my life, Lord. Take it and do something with it.